You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Honestly, it's a campfire in the middle of the day. Ooh, like it. Well, what we've been doing now is again because I I got the boat. I bring enough to do a. You know, we'll do hot dogs on the campfire. Or I got a full kind of cooked setup now where you can have steak or hamburgers, maybe a whiskey in the middle of it, beer. Just start it. Just enjoy the day. Take the time. Take the time to do a shore lunch and, and enjoy that. That's a lot of times those are the memories that last even more than the fish. For me, I like to fish with other people. I, I really enjoy the camaraderie and yeah. And the BS, well, just talking back and forth and beaking each other. And, you know, a lot of times, especially if you're, you know, say you're still water fishing and you each have your own boat, and you get on the water and you start going your separate directions, kind of each of you trying to find the trout before the other guy to catch that first fish. And you're, you're in that kind of little bit of a race and you start catching fish, you, you, you miss out on that coming together and just having that midday chat or just that quiet time looking at a, at a fire. Um, and I really enjoy that with my friends now. I, you know, when we do our early, our early Stalaco trips, we always, we have a kind of a fire ring set up now and I bring lawn chairs and we, we sit and we, we have those talks that you might miss when you separate from each other. It's important. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the quarterly fly club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.theweightcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company, blog and fishing apparel and accessories check them out online at brokentippet.com get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the fly crate we have hundreds of trout bass panfish and saltwater flies ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged euro nymphs Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really super stoked you chose to join us this time around. And uh, we've kind of made it our uh, mission to find passionate people in the outdoor space. Fly fishing, get their story. And uh, we got a special one for you today. We're going to head to a beautiful part of, uh, let's say, central to northern British Columbia, Prince George to be specific. We have got Chad St. Amand on the line. Chad is out of um, Black Pine Creative. Now, we ran into Chad at the BC Outdoors show about a month or so ago, and man, this guy's making some sweet fly rods. We're going to talk all about that. He is also doing some film production. He's also tying. He's doing, uh, you know, aerial drone photography, capturing the outdoor story, and making some amazing custom grips and real seats. I guarantee you, you will not see anywhere else. Chad, thanks for coming on the show tonight, man. I really appreciate your time. 
Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. I sure enjoyed chatting with you at the show there, and uh, it, it was uh, a busy place. So, and your booths, your booth always seemed to be pretty darn busy. So, um, we're gonna jump right into. We'll, we'll get to your business in a minute, but first, I want to know where your passion for all things outdoors comes from. Like uh, specifically, when it comes to fly fishing, where did that kind of start for you, Chad? Well, my dad pissed me off. <laughs> okay. Really, he. Uh, <laughs> He had an old fly rod that a uh, a friend of my mom's actually uh, made him, and he decided one day that he was gonna go fly fishing. And he's been he's been fishing and fly fishing well since before I was born in in BC. But I was kind of old enough to know what was going on. I was about nine years old at the time, and uh, he went out, but he wouldn't take me because he was afraid to hit me on the back cast. <laughs> I was. I was a little bit of a rambunctious child. So <laughs> anyway, he, he kind of made me mad because he would never teach me. And uh, my mom decided one summer that we were going to go to this to a, do a big road trip. We ended up going through Alberta and down into the U.S. And on, on the way back, we stopped at the White Elephant in Spokane. Oh, yeah. And if if I'm sure there's plenty of people who've. You know, if you go to Spokane, you got to go to the White Elephant store. Mm-hmm. And I had managed to save $15, and the attendant there let me buy an old fiberglass fly rod and reel and wind it up for $15 US. Hmm. And it's kind of been a uh, snowball ever since. <laughs> well, okay, so... I like that story for some reason. And it's kind of not, I mean, I'm not actually not really that far from Spokane and I know, I know the store. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's a really cool city if you haven't been there and it's grown a lot over the years, but man, there's some pretty cool shops in that neighborhood. So talk to me about your fly fishing kind of influences then. So did, did dad kind of say, okay, then I guess he's, he's, he's made a point here. We better show him what's, what's up or nope. what happened? Nope. He never showed me once. <laughs> it was all just watching him. And then, uh, I, and then there was a few kind of like, like every parent, there's a few kind of, uh, 10 and two on the, you know, hold your grip, thumb up 10 and two. And you got to time your cast. A lot of it was just me fogging water when I was, I think I was 12 at that point in time, 11 or 12. And I would take a boat out and, I just flogged water until I caught a fish <laughs> and, and it, it just kind of, it, yeah, it went from there. Yeah. And so, then my dad, you know, we would, he would take me and we would troll a fly around a lake or sure. if they were, if they were rising, we would cast. We never really knew what we were doing. Um, you talk in early nineties, fly fishing wasn't big in BC yet. Yeah. That's, really, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I know what you're saying. It's not quite what it is now. There's a lot of people doing it, though, because I, I, I am in that boat, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It definitely wasn't front and center like it has been recently. Yeah, no, it was It was really, you know, the late 80s. BC's always been a fishing culture, but that the fly fishing going mainstream really didn't happen until the 2000s when, when rod prices came kind of way down and you... TFO came out with their rods and yeah. the just you got a much better product for your value. Um, 
Fair. And back back then, you know, Sage was all the rage in BC. Um, yeah. You still got G. Loomis was still around and, and Gary Loomis. And, yeah. But we never, you know, we were, weren't kind of, we never had that kind of equipment, but we made do and, and it just, yeah. I started the same guy that, that built my dad a fly rod actually taught me how to tie flies when I was nine. Cool. And, and I, I, I was going to children's hospital for a checkup and he thought, Hey, I'll teach him how to tie flies. Well, I couldn't stop tying as a nine-year-old and my dad had a kit. My grandma had a kit and I ended up with all of that. And so I, I had a really good push between my dad and actually my, my grandma was a big influence in keeping me in fishing. And we just, we always fished. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been in Prince George most of your life? So, uh, no, we were actually on the shoe shop. We were, we were in Sycamus when I was born. Okay. And, you know, being in Sycamus, my, my, my dad had a boat for the lake and my early pictures are me in in the boat just outside of, uh, Solista fishing for those big rainbows. Oh yeah. I used to to live in that area too. Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fishing back then on the lake was, you know. It was nothing like it is now. It was so much better, especially for those big, big rainbows they were catching back then, and and kokanee. Yeah. He, well, he, yeah. Well, think about think about the you know the Adams River run and the numbers too. If you go back a few years, it was, uh, you know, th- those trout were well fed. Oh, they were well fed. We, I mean, we still had healthy runs of fish in those bodies of water. Yeah. The the sockeye weren't well. I mean, we can get on a whole other line of thought on that one, but yeah, no, it was. Uh, I, I remembered even as a little boy, they, my dad and uncle would go fly fish the mouth of the Adams. They'd fly fish the mouth of the Eagle. Yeah, you know, and it's things that are still going on today that really, you know, it's an identity to that part of BC. And then we just we moved up to Prince George for my dad's job when I was nine, and 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 up here we have so many lakes bodies of lakes so close to town and the cap camping is endless that mm. you know you're really able to get away quick and, and you're fishing what's your sweet spot for fly fishing is it the moving water or is it still water up there oh i'm a i'm a i'm a rarity in this province these days i i love my uh i love my flowing water yeah i love this i love streams streams and rivers i, I would i'll take i'll take 10 times out of 10 over a lake <laughs> Yeah, no, I I feel that. That honestly, the only reason I fish still water all the time is because that's where I live. Uh, if I had amazing rivers around me, I'd I'd be on them. But uh, we're in a desert down here, as you know, so it's uh it's a little on the dry side. But um, so l- let's talk about your business, man. Before we get into your kind of life off sure. the water, so let's talk about Black Pine Creative. Um, your fly rods really caught my attention because I. I think it's a space where people really appreciate uniqueness and, and not things that are mass produced. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that, the fly rod that you showed me with the, uh, it had some, uh, was it stone sheep? I can't remember what kind of sheep it was, but actually embedded in like the cork handle. Talk about the rods you're building. Yeah. So the, the fly rods are, they're really, uh, I've been doing fly rods for a long, almost as long as I've been tying flies. And they're kind of, uh, 
So they are definitely my passion when it comes to building. Even though I build lots of other, every other style, like when I get a fly rod, there's a lot of thought, a little bit more maybe that goes into them. Just because in a lot of ways, there's still a traditional, you still want to have a traditional feel in these rods, but with maybe a little new, new, newer era flair to them. Yeah, I know. What you so mean. the the rod you're talking about that that rod was a um, a ten foot five weight uh, North Fork composite, which is, are designed by uh, Gary Loomis now, and they're uh, hand rolled in Washington. So they're they're a North American blank, and that particular blank, I really wanted a a still water rod that when you look at it you kind of want to you have to take the double take and i wanted to bring my my love of sheep hunting and put it into a fly rod so the particular rod you're talking about the grip on that rod it was a eight inch um I, i'm gonna call it a modified double wells mm-hmm. grip um it's interesting when you start turning your grips, they, when you start using the different materials in the grips, you get soft with hard, hard with soft. And the grip almost takes on a mind of its own. And what I mean by a double well or a double mo- modified wells grip is you still get that, that double shape of where you can put your thumb front or back. But on this one, the forward part of the grip where you would grip with your thumb. If you cast like me, it's more like the, the uh, single wells mm-hmm. with a little kick up on the front. Yeah. Sure. A beautiful looking is <laughs> a piece of, yeah. it's like a piece of art in my mind. So what, yeah, what but, kind of sheep was it in there? So in the middle of that grip that, that I used uh, a piece of stone sheep, uh, this particular uh, horn was, um, given to me by a really good uh, knife maker in the province. And it was a, a deadhead, like a, a pickup winter killed animal that was turned into the province. And then they cut the horn up and then you could, they could legally trade in it. Hmm. So when I got it, I, I managed to save the, the age annuli of the horn and for, for guys who hunt and fish, that's how you tell how old the ram is. And in BC, if you hunt, you know that a ram has to be eight years of age or older to be legal to shoot. So having an, being able to keep that age ring has a lot of meaning because it's just it's so different than other North American big game. I put that in the middle of the handle, kind of sandwiched between top floor cork. So you get the beautiful feel of the top floor. And then the way I finish the stone sheep is, is smooth. So you really, it's really hard to feel the transition between the hard product and, and the cork of the grip. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a real nice feel in hand around the, the sheep for trim. I use Gabriola. Gabriola Island uh, spalted maple. Okay. And then, 
So that's the part that you would hold. And to me, it's, and it may kind of sound morbid, but when you hold that sheep horn, it's almost like you can, you can feel how wild it could have been. The kind of light, like, mm-hmm. as a hunter, you, you, you can feel the, the how harsh of a, uh, a life that animal lives and where they live and the gorgeous spaces they live in, which we also fish up here in northern BC. So there was there's a little bit of legacy that you get within that piece. Um, hmm. And that's why I put the, the sheep in it. So, so tell, um, tell me about the blanks. You say that these are uh, made by Gary Loomis. So yeah. is this a relatively fast action rod? He, he always was kind of like on the cutting edge of some faster rods back in the day. Yeah, this this this, this rod's a rocket ship. Hmm. I yeah. originally built him for uh, uh, an older couple's wedding present, or not wedding, sorry, uh, Christmas present the year before. And when I shook the blank, I was like, oh, this will pick up a 20-foot leader and throw it a mile. And I was like, well, I got to have one of these just for myself to try. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's, it's beautiful. They, they, they cast like rocket ships, which is kind of nice when you only get a few times on the water, still water in a year and you yeah. casting may not be up to snuff. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and that's the nice thing with, with these rods is, you know, you, there's a little forgiveness in fast rods. At, well, and, and in the wind, too, because, I mean, that's something that we're always struggling with where I'm at, and it's like that 10-foot makes a lot of difference, just a little more leverage and just really kind of helps you turn it over in, in those gusty winds. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it's such a cool rod because there's, there's so much going on to it that, you know, I, I might not have even told you at the time. Um, so... Within the real seat of that particular rod, I used the the base of a moose antler turned down to fit the real insert. And that comes out bone white, uh, almost like ivory. Um, so it's just another feature belonging to BC and the, the wild areas that we like to go into. Hmm. Um, all tied in with uh, ebony ebony trim which is really, really cool too. Just the, with the darker contrast with the light colors. Love it. Well, we're going to actually, we'll, we'll put a picture up when we promote this show of the rods you're talking about. And I encourage you to visit uh, blackpinecreative.com. Um, and you don't just make fly rods, right? I thought I saw you're making ice fishing rods. You're making spin casting rods, all, all different types. I, I make I make every style of rod. I actually have an ice rod that's in the shape of a fly rod huh. on the go. Cool. So I made a I made a I made a little four five inch uh foregrip, but then I shaped it like a single wells fly grip. And then it'll it'll have a uh a fly reel seat on it to run a fly rod in the winter. So it se- seems to me that everything you're doing is unique. And I, I kind of, like, I bought into that just in my mind because I think that, you know, there's so many people doing the mass-produced thing. When I find an artisan kind of thing, it's the same with some of those guys and gals that are crafting, like, landing nets. or It's unique. It's one of a kind. Um, and I think we should, oh, yeah. you know, celebrate that more than we, we probably do. 
So if somebody wanted to get a rod off you, what, what's the best way to go about it? Just kind of reach out on your website and, and, and kind of say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. And uh, like, uh, you, it's not like you're mass producing these in that it's like, okay, it'll be ready next week. There's some, there's some time involved in this. For the most part, yes. Like start of the ice season, I'll have about 20 rods kind of prepped and ready to go. Um, hopefully is kind of my goal. Uh, most people who come to me though want want that one-off feel, which can be pretty pretty easy to do. In some some cases, you just change a color of thread or you know the the guides. There, there's some easy ways of going that way. Um, but yeah, if you want to reach out, social media is the best way. Instagram, you can P, you can DM me on Instagram or PM me through Facebook. Uh, you can reach out to me through the website. The website's probably a little bit easier, even though it's not necessarily the best site out there, simply because I put my energy into building building rods and, and, yeah. and making, making jigs and flies. Well, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because the jigs you're making are quite unique. Why don't you tell us the story about the, uh, the jigs you're making? Because uh, they definitely caught my attention. Yeah, so that was kind of, that was a weird, that was a really weird progression, actually. Um, I never in my life intended to do that, but I, I was getting bigger into the ice fishing world, and I, I used, I actually used a lot of kind of, we call them, I call them ice jigs. Um, they're, they're tied like a, a, a basically a, a micro leech with chenille and a little bit of um, marabou tail with a little flash. And I would, I would essentially tie a mi- uh, micro leech on a, a jig head, whether and it glow in the dark or painted, whatever color for ice fishing. And then I was on, I was on one of the Facebook sites and I came across these little minnows and I was like, I need these. I need these for Dragon Lake. The lake's full of goldfish now. This is the perfect imitation of an a small goldfish. So sure enough, I I bought some, and then I was like, well, I can make these. Maybe I can make them. And went to Dragon Lake. I used one for the first time, and it didn't make an 18 foot drop. And I had landed about a five pound rainbow. And I was like, oh, these are gonna work. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, great. A little bit out of necessity because I wanted some different colors and and the fly tire in me wanted the, that. I wanted the creative power to make something that I would fish, not that I would buy two fish. And that was kind of what got me doing the jigs. And it was it was straight up for winter. Like I'm I'm a fly fisherman in the summer. I very rarely take any of the stuff I make for ice fishing and use in the winter. I very rarely pick that up because I know in the summer I can do it on a fly rod. So that's kind of, you know, that that's kind of what I do, even though I know that if I, and I, I call it a kind of dirty talk when you start talking about using squirmy worms and plastic (laughs) jigs, but, uh, yeah, you can. I I know guys that are gluing my minnows now onto fly hooks and fishing them under indicators at Dragon Lake. <laughs> and is okay. They're smashing. Them. Okay, here's a question, man. And <laughs> I 
you can do whatever the hell you want. And I don't define fly fishing, but is that fly fishing? <laughs> Just <laughs> like for me, there's a line. Like some 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 people go, man, you're fishing an indicator. You're not fly fishing, right? So, and I'm just like, I don't really care. Whatever works. I, I, the purist in me says no. Yeah. But the angler in me says you're using a fly rod. You're using the fly rod because you want that light action and the fun of catching a fish on it. Yeah. For me, I. I don't look at it that way anymore. If if I have my choice, I'm a straight up dry fly angler. Hmm. I I love fishing small streams with with a dry fly targeting rising rainbows and sight fishing. Yeah. Um and I'll do that on every body of water and if a bull trout chases, then I switch over to a an eight weight with a streamer and I throw a a monster fly at a big fish. You hmm. know how <laughs> Yeah. And then I, I yeah, so it's uh, I I've actually never done it. We're putting a ice my minnow, what I make for the winter on a fly yet, but I know it'll work. And it's <laughs> I'm, I have no doubt. No they're doubt. not much heavier. They're honestly not much heavier than a a tungsten weighted bomber chronomid. Hmm. So yeah, they can be. It can be done. <laughs> So I want to take some time to get to know your day-to-day. You ready for a few questions to get sure. a feel for your area? Um, let's talk tunes, Chad. So when, when you're headed to your favorite stretch of river, what's playing in the truck on the way there? Uh, typically, I'll have something like Rage Against, punk, old school. Okay. That's that's kind of what I get going on. And then if I'm out on the water, it's usually country music, hmm. all forms. You're You're mixing it up a little bit there. Oh, I got no musical <laughs> talent or taste. Whatever sounds good. Yeah, I love it. One, yeah. one go-to fly pattern that you can't live without. So, it, you know, if if you look in your fly box on that stretch of river, what more? It sounds like you fish a lot of dry flies, but what what's coming out there more often than not? I'll care caddis or a stimulator. Yeah, yeah. That's can't be pretty big. They're prolific, prolific catches and. Rainbows love stimulators. Yeah, no, that's a great pattern too. I fish. Yeah, the, I fish those on this on the river where I'm at quite a bit. Is, is there a place you go to talk fishing or outdoors specifically? Like, is it social media for you? Is there a fly shop in PG that you kind of frequent? Where do you get your fix in the fly fishing space when you're not out there? That is the hardest question for someone in Prince George to answer. We haven't had a fly shop in, well, we actually haven't had a dedicated fly shop in probably 15 years. And the the people who bought our old fly shop out were more hunters. So we actually, me personally, I drifted away from fly fishing for quite a while. Um, Not that I didn't do it or anything. It just wasn't kind of foremost in my life as it is now. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, for to talk fly fishing, um, I have a few friends that are you know really that we we've always fished together. We we chatted up, you know, really going to the Chilliwack show. That was as much about talking fly fishing and and fishing in general as it is with people who fish a lot as uh, as anywhere. Yeah. Um. 
I still talk to some of my old friends out in Alberta that I used to fly fish with. And, um, yeah, it, it can be a struggle sometimes up here. To tell you the truth. Well, I know there's a lot of you up there cause you're probably about the fifth person I've had on for Prince George on the show. We had, we had Mike Green on, we had Trevor Tatarchuk on, Donnie Erasmus, yourself. It seems to me anyway, from the outside looking in, it sounds like, uh, there's quite a few folks hitting the water with a fly rod in your area. There is. And, and we have a, well, truthfully, everybody I know fishes in some, some form. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little bit because I think because we don't have that dedicated fly space here, it's really hard to come together and, and, and share that. You think um, you'll you think you'll ever have brick and mortar for your business, and then maybe sell a few flies, and then there's, well, there's your fly shop slash hunting shop. Yeah, well, I'd love. It's very brick and mortar is very tricky these days. Oh yeah, and in a resource community like here, it it's it can be impacted by very minute changes in economy. Mm-hmm. For example, our pulp mills going down, so we have people not working, uh, losing their jobs, and it's it's really sad. And then you have the pipeline coming in, which is kind of the opposite. Right. So hmm. there's been there's been some quiet talk. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of factors for brick and mortar that makes it really hard. Yeah. Especially oh, right. in the fly fishing space, because let's face it. The internet has ruined brick and mortar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, we have the Nechaco River right here in, 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 you know, the middle of Prince George. And, and it is not a fantastic fishery and it should be one of the best. Hmm. If, if we, if we had a dam releasing cold water, keeping it clean and cold, we could have a tailwater fishery in my, in my opinion, that rivals the bow river and every major tailwater in America. Hmm. But we struggle with the poor decisions of the past that for that. Right. Um, hmm. I, I don't want to say that it's not going to happen because I have some ideas in the back of my head that I would love to do, but um, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's an, it's an interesting space. Are you a big sports guy? So uh, I always like to kind of go down the sports rabbit hole. If so, yeah. uh, who are you cheering for? Like uh, college, pro, hockey, football, watch... baseball? What, what are you doing for sports? I, I I follow most of the major sports. Hockey's obvious right now. Um, I We kind of made a joke today. We were watching the Lightning and Maple Leafs. And my my friend commented that he hates cheering for the Maple Leafs no matter what. And I said, we're not cheering for the Maple Leafs. We're cheering for the Canadian team in blue. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was winning that? Who won that game today? I didn't even look. Uh, I think the Leafs won. I actually, really? I didn't get a chance to catch the end of the game. Okay. They got blasted. They, they were up they got three blast, nothing. They got blasted in game one. But... Yes, they did, but they, they made it. Hmm. They came back. They look good tonight. Good. Um, yeah. Our Prince George Cougars were in the playoffs. I went to the last few games there. They got royally thumped. Okay. But uh yeah, Seattle Thunderbirds and WHL and CHL, they look really good. They look really really strong. Hmm. And then uh 
like every Canadian, you follow the Blue Jays from afar. Yeah, but fair. but my my pretty much I come home and I work on fishing rods now. If you look at all the time you spend out there, you know, um, building rods, tying flies, chasing f- fish on the on the moving water with a fly rod, what is what does Chad get out of this? Like, uh, you know, like what do you think fly fishing does for you personally? Fly fishing centers and calms me. Hmm. When life is so busy with a young family and. You know, I do it. I have a full time day job, and really, it, what it boils down to is a full time part time job. I call it. Um, when you get on the water, you're able to put your phone away, shut that ringer off, and just row a boat and fish. Uh, I run a drift, a small drift boat, and for me, just sitting watching fish rise, running the boat, watching my friends catch fish now, or taking my kids out catching the odd couple of fish in a day that's for me that's a, a perfect day yeah what, you know what's your day job i'm a i'm a millwright at one of our local pulp mills okay so i'm a red i have a red seal trade in that and I, i've been doing that <laughs> i'm doing that because i needed to make more money than guiding brings in <laughs> <laughs> okay so are you still guiding on top of that uh very periodically um, I actually, I was got, I, I happened to be guiding some very, um, wealthy individuals one time in Calgary and they were talking about, I I'm rowing and they're talking about where they fished and where they had hunted around the world. And I, I, I remember it was sunset on the bow river kind of late afternoon. And I, I just remember thinking, you know, I need to be, I, I need to be guy in the front seat not the guy rowing the boat. <laughs> and when, when I can get back to being the, when I can get to being the guy in the front seat, then I'll go back to rowing the boat. <laughs> and, That's a good quote. I like that. Yeah. It's uh, it was really, it was a very kind of enlightening day that, that particular day. And we caught some really nice fish like, like the boa has to offer back then. And, and it, it was just, yeah, so I decided, hey, I'll, I'll get a trade. At least it's a fallback, and then one day I can get back to this. I got to tell you, I uh, I do work with a millwright, and I I have ultimate respect for what you guys do because it's like a little bit of every. You got to know well. You got to know a lot about a lot, you know. And and I I think that skill set is it's underappreciated. I will tell you, as soon as we hired a millwright, it changed my world for the better. Oh, um, it made life easier, didn't oh, it? Oh, unbelievable! You know. You're not calling contractors every uh, every ten minutes. Shout out to Johnny Warren if you're listening, John. Uh, he he's the man, and I'm telling nice. you, it's just like I don't I don't spend the time on the phone anymore. John's John's on it, right? So uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, you, when it when it comes to any sort of production line, what you, like what your day job would do, yeah, you know, it's millwrights are the guys that put those conveyor systems in and know how to run them, and yeah, can play with the pneumatics and the hydraulics and. Well, when production so much of it. production shuts down, you're not making any money until it's fixed, right? So it's there. There is a stress factor there, you know. Like you're on the clock. You're, uh, I don't know. There's there's a different type of pressure, I would imagine, with that job. It can be. We we're a pretty relaxed group where we're at, um, and that part of that is, you know, you, you got to be safe. We want to go home to our families at the end of the day, so you. 
you when the pressure's on you need to perform but at the same time you got to do it safely yeah so we're not pushed we're not really pushed as hard as some other other industries yeah um which is nice cuz i don't ever worry about my job being unsafe yeah good stuff. and if it is we can step back and we can correct that issue yeah that yeah and mill riding's good i mean it's we're a we're a jack of all trades, but a master of none of them. <laughs> is this the best job you've had to date? Like, if you look at your work history um, between the two jobs, you know, the millwright and then your your uh, rod building and your filming, are you living your best life right now or what? I would I would say that. I, I don't think uh, it's the best. I don't think millwriting's the best job I've ever had. It it definitely is a good job that pays well and allows me to do this without worrying about other things. But I, I would say my best job was when I was a golf course attendant in Calgary. <laughs> what what's the <laughs> worst? What's the worst? Like what what is something you did that you go, I I'm I'm not doing that again. I was I I lived I lived in Banff and I worked as a houseman. And it, essentially, you're just a, a room cleaner. Right. M- mop the front floors, all that. That was the worst. That was the worst job, even though it was a pretty decent, pretty fun job. But that was definitely the worst job I've ever done. Hmm. Let, let's talk but, about your film production, because I know I know you're big on into the drone thing, um, and you're creating some, you know, unique film production of outdoor spaces where'd you get your passion for that is that something that's evolved over time that was just something i i wanted to do and i was fortunate enough to have a good enough job to buy a decent camera to allow me to do what i wanted to do and it it's interesting because i haven't actually done a film in like a number of years now ever since i I made the first couple of films and then from those films, the the fishing rods just took off. Hmm. Um, I have a project that I'm going to do this summer that I will be filming. Uh, That this is a pretty cool fly trip that we're doing because it'll require about a hundred foot rappel of the boat around a waterfall. Wow. that, That sounds like a challenge. It it's wild. The the trail you use to access access the area is a goat literal goat trail. There's mountain goat all over this particular canyon. And it's gonna be a sweet float. It has some of the the strongest, if not the strongest fighting wild rainbow I've ever caught. Um and you're in a complete slot canyon. There's no getting out of this once you launch the boat for a boat. 200 yards and then the tail out is on a beautiful hole fish everywhere there's rainbow grayling bull trout um and all wild still which is very awesome well I look forward to watching that you'll have to let yeah, us it, know when that's up yeah it should be this will be a good one hmm. um that's one project and then i kind of Fly fishing wise, I kind of edge away from doing those on some of our rivers that are close to town simply because the landmarks are just too, yeah, too responsive. Yeah, 
right? That, that certain cabin in the background, or I, I know yeah. I'm I've gotten good at, over the years at identifying still waters in this province when somebody posts a pic. A lot of times, I don't even need to see background. I can tell by looking at the water. Like, um, yeah. you know what I mean? It sounds odd, but a lot of times you're like, oh yeah, that's that, that's that. Like, I know, I know those fish or, um, it's, it's pretty much just out there now. You know what I mean? It's like, if and, you do and your social homework. media has done that Yeah. for good and, you know, for good and for bad. Yeah. Um, you gotta be, my, one of my biggest things online is never to give out a, a body of water name on the open forums like if you want to know a body of water for me it's you know message we'll have a conversation and if i feel like you know you can trust somebody then yeah okay give the name of i mean we're fishing at the end of the day you know we can go to the same body of water and i might catch squat but you'll catch 20 or 30 fish because you know that body of water Hmm. so there's that's kind of my feeling and that's been my feelings since i started in selling fishing um, we, we need to share our knowledge and pass it down, especially to the younger people Yeah. or, or it gets lost. Yeah. And, and one of those ways of sharing is, is unfortunately sharing where you fish. Yeah, no, that's, that comes, uh, that has come up quite a few times on the show. Like it, it is that double edged sword, right? You, you're going to sell more rods if more people are fishing. You're going to, you know, there's going to be more people to look after the resource because people care about it, but that also means there's more people fishing, which sometimes isn't ideal when you're looking for a quiet piece of water. Yeah. And I think, you know, that we have, we have some bodies of water up here that are, you know, relatively in the middle of kind of Kamloops and Prince George that are amazing. And, you know, the people from Prince George all know, I mean, they're going to know right away the yeah. the couple of guys, they know right away where I'm going to say, but I won't, I'm not even, I don't even need to say it, but like you can go in the water and there's like 40 guys lined up on a hog line and you might as well be salmon fishing with gear at that point. If you ask me. Yeah. I'm the that... same. I, I don't, I don't do that anymore. There's a couple of lakes near me that are, I just wait till summer and it's 35 degrees and nobody goes there. The fishing's not as good, but guess what? There's not. 20 30 40 people on a tiny lake yeah exactly and and that's kind of what i like about the rivers around locally um i purchased a little drift boat a couple of years ago beautiful it was an amazing buy but you know i can get out on the stalaco river on june 1st when the water's too high to high to wade anywhere nobody's on it because it's unless you have the right equipment and are confident in rowing there's some rapids again that cuts more people and and I've had days there where I'm the only one on the water and I just row laps and I fish from the boat we have an we have ridiculous days like yeah. days that guys talked about 20 years ago we're having that now that's great and and we actually by being able to do that we can hit that big salmon fly hatch where you're catching you know a three inch stone fly is the ticket and it's rad. It's the best fishing you've hmm. some of the best river fishing you can get. Yeah. It's, it's how hard do you want to work? Right. I think, you know, I think if you go back 30, 40 years, you didn't have to work as hard because the fishing was just better 
everywhere if that makes sense i mean not it, I, it, it was better it, it, it was it was better there were less people fishing all you have to yes. do is look at any like go in any used bookstore and you know how we have like the uh i forget the name of the book but it's basically like the freshwater atlas or directory for this year oh, they yeah. used to always put one so i was looking at one the other day from like the 60s or 70s and i'm just like fish after fish like giant steelhead and just trout that you know is a fish of a lifetime was and i know it was a more regular occurrence i'll tell you why i remember my parents bought a house out here in 1974 i think it was um the fellow that owned the house before us was in the rcmp and he uh he was a big fly fisher and i had these maps and he had all these lakes circle it'll say five plus pounds up to 10 pounds and i fish those lakes now and i just can't that boggles my mind that how big the fish must have been back in the day well and you know there's our our grandparents and in a way our parents can kind of be blamed for that because it used to be you catch a big fish you keep a big fish you yeah. show that off oh yeah i look at and, pictures as a kid and you got stringers of sticks with you know 25 little rainbow trout or whatever it's like <laughs> between one, it's crazy and that's why we have that's why we have limits on fish now limit the province would love to not have a limit on fish, but you have to put a limit on fish or people will keep every fish. Yeah. You know, it, it, again, it's one of those uh, kind of catch-22s. But you know what, Chad? I think it's really cool how this province regulates that. And they say that that it's there's a lake for everybody's needs, right? Whether it's a catch and release lake where those fish 100%. are going to grow bigger, right? Or that put-and-take fishery where you can take the kids and really get into a bunch of small ones. You know, and that's and that's great for them because now yeah. they're excited about fishing. Yeah, amen for sure. And and uh, unfortunately, I will say, and I really believe our province is about twenty five years behind the rest of North America in the way we manage fish. And I know there's going to be guys that are will get upset with me over th this comment, but we need more. <laughs> Rainbow trout are not the only fish that we could be catching in BC and are not the only fish we should be promoting in this province to catch and angle for. Mm. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, of fisheries that say like tiger trout in Alberta, naturally sterile fish that gets big. Yeah. You know, I, I think we have places in BC where, that particular species could be stocked like brook trout that have been stocked since the seventies Right. that, you know, most we enjoy them. Um, well, especially if it's like a landlocked, attention. landlocked lake where there's no streams coming in or out, you know, those oh, fish aren't leaving, right? hundred percent. And I'm yeah. not talking about putting them in a lake, like, yeah. you know, a, not putting them in say like a roche lake or a, yeah, yeah. You know, a trophy lake in the interior. I'm talking about, like, let's put these in lakes that, you know, maybe you have to hike into or, you know, a lake that's landlocked and up high that may not have fish anymore. Those are the type types of lakes I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, how's, and, how's the winter kill up in your neck of the woods? Because that's been a lot of talk. It was a lot of talk at the show, and it's been dominating some forums. Like, it was yeah. a pretty harsh winter. And, you know, uh, unless that lake's got an aerator or natural spring or a river coming in or out, 
Uh, it seems to me there might be some issues this year. We we have a handful of lakes that winter kill. Um, but those lakes typically winter kill on a pretty regular basis and are already stocked lakes. So for me, being that I, I fish a lot of wild trout, that doesn't necessarily concern me as much. Um, honestly, we have a local lake. I would love to see it, the kokanee winter, winter kill so we can get trout back in that lake and, and have a, a really good trout fishery again in there. But that that's just me. Um, and, and again, like mo- most of our lakes, especially our good fishing lakes, most of them are spring fed. So they kind of, they weather the storm a little better, I think. And I'm by no means a biologist and I haven't asked any of my fisheries friends what, what their opinions are on it. So hmm. that's about as much as I could speak to, to winter kill. So, so you're a guy that's out there a lot, whether you're hunting, uh, bird hunting, uh, mm-hmm. sheep hunting, fly fishing, have you had anything bizarre happen to you in your time out there, whether it was guiding or just personal time on the water that you went, man, that this that was weird? <laughs> oh, there's been, you know, there's, I try to, uh, every day I, I go out with, with a, um, I try to set my expectations fairly low nowadays. And when I, I don't mean like, like it's going to be a bad day, but I have an expectation of when I go to a certain body of water, okay, like I'm going to catch a 10 pound bull trout today. I don't know if I'm going to catch one or if I'm going to catch 10 of them, or I'm going to go down to X Lake and still water fish with coronamid, which really isn't something I do a whole lot, you know, and I'm going to be happy if I catch a few fish in a day is what I mean by expectations. But we were on a, uh, a float last year and uh, we expected to see moose and bears and we're floating away. And sure enough, we saw our moose and we saw our black bears and we saw our grizzly bear tracks and, and we're getting near the end of the hunt. And we look up and I go, there's a skunk. There was a skunk in the middle of Northern BC Lake and we don't have a lot. It should not have been up there, but sure enough, here's this little skunk walking along the river. Hmm. Uh, it was just a, it was one of those, that's weird. Um, I've, I've had a flock of pheasants fly, flew over me guiding on the bow one day, cackling away. That was completely different. It's not a, a bird you see flying like that often. Um, I watched, uh, I watched a Chinook salmon fishing on the tall town when I was 13 or 14 years old. I watched a Chinook chase a bird. Really? Oh, and it was going, it was trying to kill the bird. It was, it was weird. That one kind of made me stop and think, Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was, I love those wildlife encounters. You know, there's, there's always something that catches you off guard that you've never seen before, you know? Yeah. And you really gotta, you really gotta go out there and really enjoy, enjoy and kind of pay attention and, and, and make that your day rather than being so solely focused on catching the fish. And I think we're all have been guilty of that in our lives where you, you're fishing so hard, you don't necessarily look around you and go, Hey, this is cool. 
<laughs> that reminds for some reason I, most people i know have seen this one but it's that somewhere probably in montana where that guy's fly fishing and then you realize there's two giant bull elk right beside him <laughs> yeah that was from yellowstone or something wasn't uh, it? yeah maybe it was pretty cool yeah well i was i was uh fishing when we were younger up in Hyder, alaska and it's not really fishing when they fish the chum up there. It's legit snagging. They throw treble hooks and you're just trying to catch a chum on a spawning stream. You're not allowed to do that now. But at the time I was about 12 years old and I'm fishing away. And on the other side of the river, and when you're 12, you don't clue into these things until you're older. It's a bear viewing platform and we're out fishing with the bears. And I'm failing even at snagging at this point. The water's glacier cold. It's fed by the salmon glacier. It's ice cold. I've been in there for about 45 minutes up to my knees. Not catching nothing. And about 10 feet away, a black bear comes out of the bush, grabs a fish into the bush. About that fast. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I think I'm done fishing at this this spot now. Yeah, no kidding. Meanwhile, my... My parents, who were very responsible, are sitting with the American tourists on the other side going, that's my son. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I was going to get eaten. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So paint, paint me a picture of your perfect day. So, you know, let's say, let's say you're heading out tomorrow. The weather's just the way you like it. What does that look like? Is it is it a nice warm day? Are you hitting the river? Who are you hanging out with? What kind of flies are you throwing? Is there something cold to drink at the end of the day? Maybe a campfire? Walk us through your perfect day, Chad. My perfect day is getting up late August, driving over the bank of into the river valley. As the sun's coming up, you still get that nice... You're starting to get the fog in the morning. You get a few birds are calling me. Maybe the elk are going. Um, you drop down in the river. You get your boat ready. You launch your boat. The mist is still on the water. The sun's just coming up. And you rig up your line with a nice juicy hopper. And you you get in and start your float. And you start pounding banks with the hoppers. And you, you just catch that that right hatch. And it's just fish after fish all day. That that is something that I miss sorely from being on the Bow River. Yeah, there was there's just days when you 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 got on the water and you're like, today's gonna be a good day no matter what. And 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 that's for me that's a perfect day. And 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 now as a dad, getting your kids excited about getting in the boat, heading down the river, and and just watching them have the day is is pretty wicked it's yeah that would that that would be a perfect day yeah i like it um, i don't know if i can how, get too too in depth but no on that, that one but that's how i like it yeah i love it well you don't want to name the spot too much but uh that's good stuff uh, oh there's so many spots we <laughs> yeah i know Camp, campfire at the end of the day if you can honestly it's a campfire in the middle of the day Ooh, I like it well what we've been doing now is again because I, I got the boat i bring enough to do uh you know we'll do hot dogs on the campfire or i got a full kind of cook set up now where 
can have steak or hamburgers, maybe a whiskey in the middle of it, beer. Just start it. Just enjoy the day. Take the time. Take the time to do a shore lunch and, and enjoy that. That's a lot of times those are the memories that last even more than the fish. Yeah, no, you're right. Right. That's something I realize now. The the, the older I get, the less. You know, when you're having such a good day, sometimes you don't stop to take it in. You're just so focused on the fish. I know exactly what exactly. you mean. I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then afterwards. But it is hard, right? Because it's like, you know, when you have those days and it's lights out, you want to pay attention. So you're kind of giving it your all. So you kind of maybe, you know, you might notice a fish rising or maybe a caddis popping or stonefly crawling on a rock or something. But you're probably not looking at much else. No. And and then, and then maybe you're, for me, I like to fish with other people. I really enjoy the camaraderie and, yeah, and the, the BS both just talking back and forth and beaking each other. And, you know, a lot of times, especially if you're, you know, say you're still water fishing and you each have your own boat and you get on the water and you start going your separate directions, kind of, each of you trying to find the trout before the other guy to catch that first fish. And you're, you're in that kind of little bit of a race and you start catching fish. You, you, you miss out on that coming together and just having that midday chat or just that quiet time looking at a, at a fire. Um, and I really enjoy that with my friends. Now I, you know, when we do our early, our early Stalaco trips, we always, we have a kind of a fire ring set up now and I bring lawn chairs and we, we sit and we, we have those talks that you might miss when you separate from each other. Yeah. And yeah. It's important. It's funny. I remember when I was in probably late teens, early twenties, I go fishing on my own quite a bit and I used to go on some long trips. Like I'd, I'd get off work and drive for like an hour and a half and it'd be getting dark and I'd be getting on the lake. It's just stupid things like that. There's nobody else around. Yeah, um, but you also, like you say, if you don't have somebody there to enjoy it with, it's not the same to share that experience. I think that's something we don't talk about a lot, but it's it's as important as the fishing, if not more so. Well, I think I think in a lot of ways it is more so because you need that. As fishermen, we are typically yeah, sure we like to fish alone, but at the end of the day, we we like to talk about fishing. And, you know, some guys are amazing storytellers. And if you don't stop to chat with them, you, you miss the stories. Yeah. Um, like. Yeah, that's true. I, I grew up reading BC Outdoors magazine. And on the very, I don't know if you remember, but on the very back page, I believe the guy was, his name was Dwayne Stewart. Dave Stewart. And it was called Last Dave Cast. Stewart, Last Cast. Yeah. I read that religiously from about the time I was nine years old yeah. to the day he ended his his run as a writer for them. Yeah, I remember he came and talked to our fly club back in the yeah. 80s, and he signed a book for me. Just uh, yeah. had some great like, stories. It's those stories, those are the stories that, you know, they capture us. And I, I still remember him talking about the Thompson and the Coquihalla and you know, revel stoke on the railroad and the fish that they were catching, like Dead Man's Creek. They used to have two thousand steelhead, and I remember that from an uh, 
1989 uh, article from BC Outdoors. Yeah. Why that story stuck with me through these years, now they have none. Well, the Thompson, you hit a nerve with me on the Thompson because we used to go and fish it. But I miss the heyday and just the way people would talk about that system and the special genetics in those fish were just... And you see pictures to this day, but now they're, I mean, it's... They're like a dinosaur, right? Uh, yeah, they're extinct. You know, I got a friend who's actually, he's involved in some of those meetings, and they're like, yeah, this is a functionally extinct run unless they do something. And, and, and you know, even even a little bit closer to my neck of the woods, like uh, the Blackwater, when I worked at Northern Hardware here in Prince George and Northern Hardware went on to be almost 100 years. I think it reached its 100th birthday as a store in Prince George. Anyway, I used to work at the the fishing counter there. And I had old timers come in and say that they were pitchforking steelhead and Chinook out of the Blackwater River to fertilize their gardens. That's how good our waters used to be and abundant. Crazy. And as a flowing water guy, like, man, we had steelhead in the black water that we could have fished. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I think about that in the Similkameen. If that dam, yeah, exactly. If that dam wasn't it. there, I mean, it's connected to the Columbia. That's the, like the single biggest salmon river around, pretty much. 100%. But aren't they supposed to be taking that dam out, or there's a big push uh, for that now? Yeah, I tried to get somebody on the show to talk about it, but I uh, haven't had any luck with it. But I I did read something about that. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember reading reading and hearing about it, and I even have a friend here that was pushing for it, or a petition anyway. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, Prince George is really cool because we have the Fraser and then the Chaco. We have the largest white sturgeon in the world in the Nechaco River. But many don't know is we have coho that come all the way up here to spawn in the Nechaco. We also have pink salmon that come up here to spawn. And those aren't runs that anybody talks about. Which, you know, if we had cleaner water down south, we might have viable runs. We're getting a little you know, away from. You know what's funny? There. There's a the lake that I live on, uh, Okanagan Lake. Uh, I talked to old timers back in the day, and they used to tell me that uh, the creek that runs right through town, right into Okanagan, would have like 20, 30 pound rainbow trout trying to spawn yeah. there in the spring. Yeah. And that just boggles my mind. There's still some big fish in that lake, but not. Uh, not like they're not, not that size anymore. Well, no, a big one would be probably fifteen, but maybe twelve. But uh, yeah, not not like it was. But yeah, uh, same with same. With, most of our big lakes in BC had those fish. I mean, look at the Gerards yeah. in the yeah. in the Kootenay region. Sure. Right. What? We 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 are really lucky. Uh, in in our region in Prince George, we have a we have a body of water that has big fish and they're very consistently caught. And, and the nice thing about that lake is it's remote and big enough that it keeps most people off it. Is there kokanee in it? 
There is. Yeah. That, well, that they, seems to be the magic ingredient for a lot of those big fish lakes in, in the province. Yeah. Well, and if I'm... Don't quote me on this, but I believe they were stocked actually in the lake hmm. in order to give the lake trout and the bull trout feed to get big. Yeah. And and they're currently they did a stocking assessment a couple of years ago just before COVID, and the numbers were the same as 10, 10, 12 years ago. So, you know, the health of that lake, which should be going down according to our regional bios, is still really he- really good. Yeah, there's always there's always a few kind of bright spots, right? Like as much as you know, we say some of the fishing is worse. Some of it's a heck of a lot better. Like I, I can think of some lakes that are managed as trophy fisheries that weren't when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, yeah, there's lots of fish, but they were small and it was kind of yeah, you know, not as much fun as maybe it is now. But um, yeah, so tell if somebody wants to follow you on. Uh, I'm sure Instagram's always a good place to kind of see what you're doing with Black Pine Creative and making these custom rods, tying flies, and hunting trips and whatnot. Where do we find you on Instagram? So you can find me at Black... You can find me under my name, Chad St. Amund. Um, however, that's just... That's kind of more of a just kind of a life mm-hmm. with my kids and kind of the goofing around um, type stuff. And then... but. Business-wise, you can find me at Black Pine Creative North on Instagram. And you can find me at Black Pine Creative on Facebook. As well as my my website is blackpinecreativenorth.com. And the, the website, you can contact me through it. There's some pictures there. Again, it's I haven't had enough time to really focus on, on that side of it simply because like i said i'm one guy and i put all my energy into custom fishing rods so and you got one or two more shows before the season's out yeah so uh next week i'm heading to yorkton saskatchewan yeah uh it's called the parkland outdoor show right it's from what i've been told it's the biggest outdoor show of its kind in western bc I don't want to step on the BC Outdoor Show because they did a great job yeah. at, at hosting. But, yeah, it's it's a really good one. Uh, this particular show is, is more geared toward um, walleye fishing and and the, the laker fishing in, in Saskatchewan. But they actually have a pretty good – they got some pretty well-managed lakes out there that guys are fly fishing these days for some pretty big tigers. Tigers, brook trout, rainbow trout. Yeah. They got some pretty cool stock lakes out there. Oh yeah, yeah, they got yeah. quite the little spot there. So, are you just out of curiosity? Are you taking holidays from the mill writing job at the mill to go on these? So, is it like I take holidays so I can work, kind of thing? Yeah, this one's kind of uh, I take holidays to work. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I can work a lot of overtime and make up. I actually, I ended up. I missed a week of holiday time. I have to take anyway. So I'm taking all the next week off. I'll prep for the show this weekend, as well as a few other bigger orders that I got to do. And then uh, head out there eh, probably Wednesday, Thursday. And then I'll come. I'm going to drive to Calgary overnight and hopefully uh, be on the Bow River Monday afternoon to uh, go to some of my old stomping grounds. I love it. The show will be up by then. I'll send it to you Sweet. on Saturday so you can check it out. 
Um, Chad, thanks, man, for coming on. I, I really enjoyed meeting you, and I, I know you and I are going to get out in the water. It's just a matter of when. Uh, we'll yeah, wait. you, you got to get up here. Yeah. Right on. You've been listening tonight to a chat with Chad St. Amund. Chad is uh, out of Prince George, British Columbia, with Black Pine Creative. He's doing some film stuff. He's got the custom fly rods, the custom flies. Not just fly rods. Check out his ice fishing rods. They're pretty sweet looking if you uh, hit the hard water, too. Aerial drone photography, capturing the outdoors, and Butte, one-of-a-kind custom grips and reel seats uh, with stone sheep. And you got to check that out. Check it out. Uh, we'll send up, We'll put up a link on the show. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera-related content custom music from Damian Anderson and by brokentippet.com.